everybody. This is Jack. This is the Avon. And welcome to our NLEC podcast called Church on Air. So Jack, how do you um, how do you like to learn things? Do you like reading? I despise reading. You know, Mr. Evan. Okay. Well, do you like um, listening? No, I do not want to listen. Well, I have the best app for you if you still want to learn. Inaudible. Inaudible. Inaudible is an app where you sign up, you pay a monthly subscription, and you get access to all of the gibberish of this world. You don't have to listen to anything. You don't have to um, even learn anything. What you got to do is put it on, and if anyone asks you, "Hey, what do you what do you do in your spare time?" you can say, "I have been listening to an audio book for the past twelve hours." Wow. I can learn but not learn at the same time. That's amazing. It's even better than that. You can pretend to learn and not learn at the same time. Inaudible, wow. So, um, for example, if you just want to look sophisticated, put on an audiobook and listen to the greatest hits such as for 12 hours on a loop. You know, Stephen, I've been listening to ABBA, Berba, and I love it. It's so good. Like I feel like I've actually done something with my time without actually putting anything into it. I would recommend that book to all of you Inaudible fans out there. So Future if you are interested in Inaudible, um, remember to use the promo code Jack and Steven at www.inaudible.com.au. That's it. Enter the code and you get a one month free subscription to Inaudible. Yeah, trial it out and make sure you uh, put in a shout out for the NLEC podcast. Please listen to, yeah, and I recommend Abla Bebe. Fantastic. Yeah, check it out. All right, on to the podcast. None of these ads are actually real. All of these the products are actually endorsed purely by the minds of Jack and Stephen. We do not take any responsibility. So, um, last week we touched on chapter one, didn't we, Stephen? We did. Uh, we went through the whole thing. Uh, we talked about what it means to find joy in temptation, joy in trials, what God does with that, like how important it is to um, have our perspective fixed upon eternity and on God and how your perspective changes what you can get and what you can see in trials and tribulations. And the heart of that is to see God, obviously. Uh, and then we talked about what it meant to be real as Christians, to look at ourselves. Sometimes we make excuses and justify um, why it is that uh, we're okay. We don't need to grow anymore. And James is telling us, it's like sometimes you scripture is like a mirror or the conviction of God is like a mirror. And you look at it and you see yourself and your flaws and your good things. Sometimes we look at the mirror, see our flaws and then go, let's not do anything about it. And James is saying, no, we have to be real with ourselves, be honest with ourselves. And if there are dysfunctions and sins and hurts in our lives, we have to do something about it. And then this chapter, we're going to start talking about what some of the things that this spiritual mirror is revealing within our hearts. So I feel like chapter one actually sets the tone quite well for the rest of the chapter. Um, later on, um, in the next few chapters, James actually gives really practical advice on what to do with chapter one. Um, but that being that, that aside, um, we've had a change in our in our podcast structure haven't we Stephen? we have we um we thought that initially we could go two chapters per 30 minutes turns out scripture is a bit more dense than that yeah 
Um, so we're going to change it to one chapter per episode. Um, that's just more content for you guys. Um, as always, like give us feedback about what you think is a good chewable amount of content. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to try and like take it one chapter at a time now. So instead of initially this um, James series being three episodes, it's going to be five episodes, and then maybe we'll have a Q and A at the end if there's any questions. Yep, six episodes including the introduction. Oh yeah, six episodes including generalities. Yeah. Generalities, yeah, yeah. It's just so much fun. I just forget yeah. recording it at all. Too many things going on. <laughs> yeah, um, but let's head into it. Yep, let's go. So. Um, chapter two, James is given really practical ways to actually do the work. So James starts off with, um, yeah, talking about the sin of partiality. What does, what does that mean, Stephen? So the example James puts here is actually, um, about the rich and the poor, right? He uses an example. This may or may not be happening, um, within the church, but the idea is, um, you go into church, people go into church and they go, okay, I am going to give Um, special attention, um, special invitation to those that make me feel good about myself. Um, So the example is a rich man comes in the church and everyone goes, oh, I want the rich man to have honor, right, within the congregation. And that comes at the expense of those who actually need, um, need encouragement, need hope, those who are poorer, those who are more in despair, right? Um, And so partiality is, the issue of partiality is that it's, the self-centeredness that goes, I am going to favor those in church who benefit me the most. Yeah. Anything to add, you reckon? Yeah. So he's also calling out people who are judging superficially or people judging people by the, the cover of the, of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a good thing either, um, to judge people by what they look outwardly. Um, you see, like, James is quite specific, wearing a gold ring, fine clothing, comes into your assembly or the poor man with shabby clothing right mm-hmm. but that's not the case um yeah yeah um now i would kind of i would say does the rich and poor divide happen in the modern australian church um possibly i think it's always easier to get along with people that you feel like um have uh you know have, have a better education who perhaps don't need anything from you. You know, I think there's a fear for that. But I reckon this example, this sense of judging superficially, which I really like um, in your definition, is I think in the church we often judge who we want or who we want to value in our community based on things that are not really what God values in the community. Like, let's say it doesn't have to be rich and the poor. It can be, um, is this person um, attractive? Is this person funny? Is this person, um, does they, do they have the same interests as me? Now, sometimes we can impose that like, oh, church is about how good I feel connected to in the community. And, but what we feel connected to the community may not be what God is trying to connect us through in the community, which is obviously the gospel. And the gospel is not about how educated you are, how rich you are, whether you're a doctor or engineer, lawyer, teacher, um, pastor even. And I, and I love how God, I mean, James affirms that, right, in verse, in, chap, in verse 5, where he talks about how the poor are to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom. So yeah. that's what God looks towards, not superficial things um, in terms of how much money they have, but actually um, God actually. Yeah, it's like 
like for example, I, 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 it's like having something that you have personal value in. Like let's say you create a, um, a, a group, right? You have this friendship group and you really value everybody in this friendship group. But then someone comes in and they start only value, they start valuing it. So you kind of go, we're all friends. But then someone comes in and goes, no, I think this friendship group is only good because there are four people here that I really like out of the eight. What ends up happening is we're not seeing the true worth. Someone else is coming in not seeing the true worth of the group. They're actually imposing what they think is valuable. Um, and so what's happening here in the church is there are people who are going into God's church and just picking out what they think is valuable and ignoring what is the true value of a Christian community. Um, it's like just surrounding yourself with rich people does not mean you have eternal worth in your life. Now, do, do you see this ever happening in like um, church or like social groups or your friendship groups, whatever, where people misvalue the real worth of people? Yeah, honestly, um, reading this um, personally, as personally, I find it hard to apply the rich and the poor. And I think that's just um, a matter of perspective. But I think if we actually look beyond that, beyond just looking at people who are rich and poor in terms of my situation, um, no, for sure. I definitely see people being impartial or looking at superficial things. I think it's so much easier to hang around with the friends that you are comfortable with um, compared to people um, who might be new at church. Yeah. Um, or might, yeah, who aren't part of that friendship group. Yeah, like you could so rephrase this as, suppose a person who is really popular comes into church. Yep. Awesome. Um, and you say, hey, come sit next to me. But then someone who is new and struggling in their life comes in and you say, you, no, you go sit over there. Or you just ignore them. Or you just ignore them. Um, I see this happening so much. Um, in fact, like, uh, I would say this is something that um, our church even, needs to work on. I think every church has to work on this because the human heart um, values things that uh, like benefits itself. Um, I, I think it's so important that we do not value people based on our measure of worth. Someone comes into church and they are poor in, I guess, experience or they don't know the in-jokes or anything. They are still valuable, like immensely valuable to God. Um, and so we need to, as Christians, then take this into action. Look at the mirror, right? The mirror is like, if I actually value people who I am friends with more than those who are new, then I need to make a change. You know, I read this and I was like so convicted. And I read this and I went, I actually need to go out and find um, people I don't know in the church community and really honor them. Like, even if it costs me, Money, time, whatever it is, like I can see. I will. I think God wants me to honor those who are taking a risk, really, to come to our community, taking a risk to kind of meet new friends, and I want to honor that. Right? Um, what do you think? Yeah, speaking from experience, it's it is much harder. I think it's much easier to favor people who you feel comfortable with. Um, and in James, it's the rich people, but. Um, in our scenario, it might just be our own friendship groups or things like that. But no, like, I think that's what James yeah. is calling out. Nothing against friends. Nothing I mean, against friends, yeah. Friends no, are so important. important. Bring them along. Invite them. With Invite your friends to actually welcome those people as yeah, well. Yeah, they're a resource 
to build the kingdom. Yeah. Not that friends are resources. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. Thanks, Jack. Jack knows what I mean. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the next part um, of yeah. the chapter. Um, the, the chap- verse, verse 8 is quite an important verse, isn't it? Verse 8 is almost the key verse within the book of James. Now, James has a really, um, really close relationship with the book of Matthew. Um, it probably references Matthew, you know, um, and sometimes like just kind of rips stuff straight from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in this particular one, um, I'll just read it out to you guys in verse 8. If you ke- really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. The royal law comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Um, and it basically is um, comes down to the greatest commandment, right? Love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This actually underpins everything within James. Learning what it means to live genuinely, openly, and generously um, for God and for other people, right? So basically, you're unhealthy if you can't love others openly. Like if you have 50 excuses why you shouldn't be kind to somebody, you're actually breaking God's law. It's sin. It's not excuse, you know. Um, So right here, James is kind of pointing like, why shouldn't we show favoritism? Why should we do good things? Why should we end up, why should we try and reach out and be uncomfortable? He's saying there is a spiritual law that should be written on every Christian's heart and it's love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty important. I I think we should, we should meditate on this verse like often. It's super important. I think because yeah, as Stephen said, it sums up all the different laws. So if you break this law, then um, James talks about it afterwards. If you break this law, then you, you're considered a lawbreaker or a transgressor. Yeah, you break every law. Yeah. If you don't love God and you don't love others, it doesn't matter how much you serve, right? If you serve from a heart of bitterness, you've broken every single law in God's commandments. Pretty significant. Yeah, and when I first learned about this, I was pretty shocked um, to think that if I just maybe lied to a friend, that I would be counted equal as a murderer or someone who um, has committed adultery. Yeah, because you've broken the principle. Exactly. Of the law, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I find interesting, though, I don't know if you, you do this, um, like often like everyone wants to love people. You know, like nobody, or maybe I'm being a bit naive, I don't think anybody goes around life saying, I I really want to only love a certain group. I mean, we can all think of certain groups who, who say that, but I would say generally most people want to go around being kind and generous, right? But there's always a if clause, like unless, unless they are annoying, unless they are this, right? And I think that's what James is talking about, this clause that we have. Now, it's like we only value people if they, we only love people if they fit a certain clause. And he's saying this is essentially as bad as murdering, as bad as lying, as stealing, because you're breaking the principle of how God created the world, right? And I think it's sort of, for me, as I look at it, I'm going, well, it's important that I am always in a posture of of openness and love, because if I only have values when it's comfortable for me, I actually don't have values. Do you know what I mean? If I only act according to my principles when it's convenient, 
actually don't have principles, right? Like, how, how do you, like, kind of um, jostle with that tension of trying to love everyone, including, like, people who are harder to love? Hmm. It's so much easier, right? Um, and I think in order to actually follow or fulfill the royal law, um, um, James talks about it in verse 12, um, to speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. So we have this freedom in Christ and to do so, um, to actually, yeah, love one another and love our neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have like a personal experience of, of feeling convicted to love someone who was hard to love? Yeah, I think just going back to the to what I was sharing before, how it's easier to be comfortable in our friendship groups and not talk to people who are new. Um, I think that always challenges me. Mm. Um, seeing someone who's coming to church for the first time, I think you know, I, it'd be so much easier if I just sat here with my friends and felt accepted and comfortable in this scenario, but to actually go out of my way and just say hi and welcome them, yeah. I think that's important as well. Like It sounds like it's a small thing, but then James links it down to verse 13. He goes, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mm. That's like a huge deal, right? Because where did he get this sense of mercy and tri triumphing over judgment thing? It's actually from the cross. So what is God's posture towards people who don't deserve his relationship, his love, his care? His action within that circumstance is to say, I fully accept sinners. Right. Even the, the thief on the cross next to Jesus, right? Like he gets accepted into the kingdom of God despite his flaws and sins and crimes, even. So I think that's really the posture. Like James is saying, do we really value mercy over judgment? Mm. Because God's answer to a broken world isn't to segregate people, not to segregate the bad people from the good people. As we can see in the world, right? The church is filled with good, bad, happy, sad, everything. Um, the, the key to mending a broken world is not radical segregation. It's actually radical acceptance. It's transformation through acceptance. So God is saying, I want you in the family. I know you are not, uh, you don't earn your relationship here, but I accept who you are. And from that acceptance, I can then change and transform your heart. Um, it's pretty powerful. And I think that's really the, the power of the church, you know, radical acceptance in the gospel. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned gospel because I think, I mean, this chapter and the whole Bible is, is actually um, littered with the gospel. Um, it's surrounded by the gospel. Um, and I think true obedience um, really acknowledges that, yeah, we need to keep the law. Um, we need to understand that we are a transgressor and we need to come to God for forgiveness yeah. and mercy. Yeah, like we accept because we were first accepted. Yep. Yeah. So pretty cool. All right. Uh, moving on. Yeah, so moving on. Um, I, I love this. I love this section. Um, and I think when, when reading this, um, so this is our faith without works. Yeah, verse four, 14 onwards. 14 onwards for chapter 2. Um, yeah, James talks about um, faith without works. Um, is that that's not true faith. Um, and I love, and often, and maybe when I read this at the first time, for the first time, I was thinking, does this contradict with what Paul is saying? Because mm. just for some background, Paul is always about faith alone. Yeah. Right. Sola fide. 
That's it. Right. Um, and so James here seems to be against that. Sorry, carry on. Yeah. Um, he seems to be, but I don't think that's the case, actually. Um, I think they're actually quite complementary. Um, yeah. You care to elaborate, Stephen? Um, so James, I'll just read it out here, right? What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Verse 15, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Uh, on the surface, we're seeing James is kind of going, it's not just faith alone. But I'd like yeah. to bring the context matters, right? Like yeah. I, I think context is really important for um any words, even the same word in a different context can mean something different. For example, I can say, I love McDonald's and I, and I use the word love. And then I can say, I love my wife. I don't love McDonald's in the same way that I love my wife, right? The same word, different context means something different. Yeah. In the context here, James is trying to point out hypocrisy in Christians. He's trying to go, there are people who say they're Christians who are only nominal Christians. They only say they are, but they're not really. And he's trying to really point out the hypocritical parts of our heart. And one of the hypocritical parts is someone who says, like, let's say they, oh, I've been a Christian for five years, but their lives don't actually match up to a growing faith. They're not actually being challenged. They're not actually finding joy in temptation. They're actually super partial. And he's like, look at yourself. Is if your faith is only nominal, is it real? Mm. Right? If, but Because real faith comes from a love of God. So you love and trust in God, and therefore you have faith. And that faith then leads to action, right? Real faith means that God is always sanctifying and growing and challenging a Christian. It, it naturally comes with action, right? If you really are passionate about, I don't know what you guys are passionate about, like you're really passionate about soccer, right? You can't say you're passionate about soccer and then, but you never watched it before in your life. Yeah. Right? Then you just have an idea of it. You don't really have it. So the way I like to see um, this, these two differences is that Paul is actually addressing the fact that there are no human pre-salvation works that will save us. Yeah. But James is talking about how post-salvation works will actually demonstrate and provide evidence for our salvation. Yeah. It's the, it's the evidence. Yeah, it's, it's the evidence. Um, so Paul is talking about before we are saved, we cannot do anything in our human works. But James is saying that after salvation. Your works demonstrate. That's it. That you have faith. Yep. So, I mean, that once again, it's like the mirror. It's a spiritual mirror again. Mm. Right. So I, I, I go to God and I'm like, okay, God, um, I, I have faith in you. And, and my faith and my like desire to follow Christ means that I need to make decisions about my money, about my time, about my effort, and whether or not those things are kingdom-minded. Uh, if I always choose myself, I really have to question whether, whether or not my faith needs work, mm. you know, whether or not it's real. Because uh, let's say I know God loves the poor. There is no way that I can justifiably, like, do things which would negatively affect the poor around me. I have to do something, right? And therefore my faith, but it doesn't, I, my love for the poor doesn't turn me into a Christian. 
Mm. I didn't find God by being around like people who need help. I think it's my love for God means that I love what God loves. And since God loves those who need help, therefore, I love those who need help. Yeah. So when reading this, someone might be thinking, oh, does that mean I can just go to church every Sunday, read the Bible and pray every day um, and serve once in a while and donate to charity? Is that enough? Is that enough, Stephen? Is that what James is saying? Yeah. So no, right? Yeah, no. Because like you said, Paul is talking about before you have faith, your works cannot lead you to salvation. But it come, depends on, but good works have to come from somewhere. Um, and so good works can be an evidence of all sorts of things. But good works from faith, from loving what God loves and doing what God wants, that is evidence of what is already there. So you can go to church, but if you have no faith, if you don't believe in God, or if you read the Bible, but you have no relationship with God, um, your works by itself will not bring you closer to God. You actually need to entrust your life to Him. Mm. You actually, um, it's a difference between like form and substance, right? Sometimes we're, this world, we're so focused on form, which is what are we doing, right? So form is like, um, you know, you go to lunch and someone says, I've worked four hours today. Invariably, someone else will go, oh, I work six hours, right? It's a form of like you're competing over the form of it. But we don't discuss substance enough, which is what work did we do? Why did we do it? Mm. What is our purpose behind it? What is our heart? That's what um, that's what actions should like should reflect. Mm. And so in this case, you can go to church um, for yourself, and that's fine. But it's important that if you have faith, you go to church for a bigger reason. Mm. And that's how all these other actions come out. You know, so. Um, James is saying, don't be so focused on the form of your faith. Look at the heart of it. Yeah, and honestly, even when doing ministry, I think sometimes we can get so focused on what we're doing, like what's happening. For example, I'm a youth leader. What's happening every Friday? Like what are we doing and how the youth is responding? We're looking at the form too much, but sometimes we forget about the substance. Yeah. We forget about why we're doing this. What is this doing? Why are we doing this? We're, looking, we're focusing too much on what we see, the fruit almost. Mm-hmm. And kind of forgetting about why we're actually doing it. Yeah. If I'm honest, I don't remember anything my youth leaders told me. Like, I'm sorry. Uh oh. <laughs> but you know what I did? I remembered how much they cared about my faith in God. Right. And that mattered, that mattered more to me. Mm. Like, I can hardly remember a lesson. And if I'm honest, I ask around church, most people don't remember what I've preached like a month ago. Um, but it's not really about the form. It's about they remember being challenged by God, yep. which is way more important. Yeah. Yep. So coming back to the text, um, yeah, James even says that even the, even the demons say that they believe in, in God, but that's not enough, right? And then later on he talks about... This is what I tell, by the way, this is what I tell like our, our youth girls and our young, young girls at the church, or uh, oh. young guys really in this case, 2019 after all. Um, if someone goes, oh, hey, I'm, uh, I believe in, even though I'm not a Christian, I believe in God, your answer can be, well, so does Satan. <laughs> yeah, doesn't make them a viable dating companion. Oh, so this is in, in return to dating advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We teach survival skills here. <laughs> That's how we roll. So just because someone says they believe in God does not mean they have faith in Christ. Yeah. Because even demons do. 
This is, I mean, anyway, this is a dating verse, is all I'm saying. Okay. I, I will take that as no, no, Steve. Um, <laughs> all uh, right, back on point. Yeah, back, back, back to um, chapter two. And then later on, James actually gives examples. Um, we, he gives examples of Abraham and Rahab, um, of people who actually demonstrate um, works as evidence of their faith. And even, yeah. Yeah. So here we find that James making his real argument. So Abraham it demonstrates his faith by doing something. The Greek word here is synerge, which is where we get the word synergy from. So working together is like your faith, your, your faith in God works together with your actions to bring the key word, which is in chapter one, completeness, teleos. So James is saying it's not that faith, your actions is your faith. Your actions are not your faith. But your faith is married to your actions and they then produce growth and completeness. Um, and so like, I think sometimes it's, it's actually biblical to say, oh, how do you find spiritual growth? You actually need to do something. It, it requires you to like, not just contemplate on scripture, like, even though that's good, but you actually have to live out and, and serve um, God, serve the church, serve the people around you. Yeah. Um, so I think it's also worth noting that um, the audience would actually understand quite well who Abraham and Rahab are. They would understand the stories of what's going on. Yeah. So Abraham, obviously, the, the example here is that he's the father of um, Israel, father of faith, even. And what he did was he was uh, given a promise. He was given a promise by God that he would one day um, be a father of all nations and be a um, kind of be a blessing to everyone and through his children. Right, his descendants, mm. and he he couldn't have a son. His um, wife Sarah was really old, and it took them like years, decades, for this one child Isaac to arrive. And when Isaac finally arrived, God told Abraham, "I want you to sacrifice your son." And Abraham trusted God, and he realized that if God asked him to, if God gave the blessing then the focus shouldn't be on the gift. It should be on the giver. So he actually obeyed. He trusted in God and then he put his actions together to go, if I trust God, therefore I will trust that he will look after my son, no matter what my actions are. And then that ended up bringing a new blessing into his life. Right. Um, Rahab, on the other hand, was not somebody who was promised a blessing. She was actually like the lowest of lows. So she was a prostitute living in the city walls, which means she was poor. She was unmarried, which means that she was a single income for her family. And she didn't have a patron. So there wasn't really much hope in her life. Um, what happened was then Israel sent two spies into Jericho because Israel heard that God wanted to take Jericho as part of his kingdom. And so they scattered out the place and they were on the run because they got discovered. Rahab then, they then run into Rahab's um, house. And Rahab says this, I have heard what your God has done throughout the lands. And so she realized that her, for her to have a better life, she needed something more than her own strength. So then she put her faith in a God that could do more than she could and his sovereignty. And she asked, if I 
put my faith into action. Can God give me a hope for my life? And the spies went, yes, God will always keep his promise. And so Israel came, Jericho fell in like uh, incredible circumstances. And Rahab was not only saved and her family not only slave, uh, saved, but she actually became part of the genealogy of Christ. Mm. It's like so much honor on her life. Um, and so faith kind of needs to work together with action. And it brings either a deeper revelation of God or it brings hope uh, and like promise into our lives. So I feel like this is a really good point to end on because I think if I were put in their shoes and if I was actually listening to this um, in, in their time, putting them in the shoes, I think these are really, uh, really profound acts of obedience um, that comes from faith in God. And I think if we were to actually tie this back to verse 8, um, the royal law, was it verse 8? Verse 8, yeah. Verse 8, verse eight the royal you law, I think. To love God and love our neighbors as ourselves, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have to, we can't just say, yeah, we should love people. Mm. You actually have to go out of your way to do something. Um, sometimes it means you have to obey God and sacrifice something that um, means something to you. Mm. Sometimes it means you have to reach out into a community or a group of people that um, you may not have expected help from faith requires both mm. and so if that's kind of where uh, we are and we're going to bring to our conclude this episode to a conclusion um, if we look at the mirror uh, of God in our lives are our actions actually matching what God values in the church do we actually have favoritism and or do we actually have faith that expresses itself in godly living if not, we've got to do something about it. Yeah, and I think that's just, just the nature of our growth as Christians. God will continue to tell us to look at the mirror and actually reveal to us things that we actually have to bring to God. Mm -hmm. um, times where we're favored, we show partiality. Um, but I think, no, we have to do something about it. James is telling us to not forget about those things. Yeah, so if you feel like God's convicting you of these things, talk to someone about it. Yeah, um, talk to someone about it, journal it, um, do something about it, mm. really. Um, and I think this passage convicts me. Um, I think it convicts us both, mm. really. Um, but don't just have your faith be an idea. Do something with it. And I'll just end with the final verse, yep. verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We need to do something with our faith. So with that, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Yeah. Stay tuned for the next podcast episode where we'll be touching on chapter three. Yeah. Uh, talk to you guys later. All right. See ya.